Hello, my rebels. Today I talk about a curious case of a Greta wannabe. His name is Steve Lee, and he's 26, so he's not 16, and he doesn't really have any charisma or passion or knowledge, but he's a plugger. He plugs away, and he's going school to school, scaring children about global warming. And he's no dummy. His charity, quote-unquote, that he runs, made $760,000 last year. So my question is... Um, how come schools are letting this propagandist in? I'll go through the details and tell you more of who he is. Uh, before I do, let me invite you to become a premium subscriber. Go to premium.rebelnews.com and you get access to the video version of this podcast, which I like to think adds an extra wallop. That's premium.rebelnews.com. It's just eight bucks a month. All right, here's the podcast. Tonight, why are Alberta schools allowing an anti-oil lobbyist unfettered access to children? Why are any schools? It's November 22nd, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I'm publishing is because it's my bloody right to do so. I'm looking forward to Jason Kenney's oil and gas war room to be launched. I don't think it's been launched yet. They've announced its budget, a whopping 30 million bucks a year, and its boss, a former journalist and political candidate named Tom Olson. So I'm hopeful, but I'm getting old, and it's almost 2020, and there hasn't been a lot of wars fought by the war room yet. Wars have been fought against the oil patch. Greta Thunberg, the child actor, who has been weaponized by anti-oil lobbyists. She came to Alberta, and other than our own Kean Bexty, who scrummed her here in Edmonton, as you can see, really no one in the whole province pushed back against her. I think they were afraid because she's young and that might look mean. Well, yeah, that's why she's so effective. She's young, but she's just a sock pocket pet being controlled by others like a ventriloquist dummy. If you can't even bring yourself to say that, you're not really fighting a war, are you? You're losing a war. I hope the war room lives up to its name whenever it's launched, and I hope it can be the bad cop to Premier Jason Kenney's good cop. You know what I mean by that, good cop, bad cop? That the war room will be tougher, that it'll do things that might raise an eyebrow if it were to be done by the Premier or a cabinet minister or even a bureaucrat instead. But if it were done by an arm's length war room, would be excusable because that's at arm's length and that's what war room means. It's just, if, if it's just going to be a tame and meek public affairs branch of the government, don't expect anything to come from it other than $30 million going to more bureaucrats and ad agencies who will do more useless feel-good ads about how you really shouldn't hate the pipelines, you guys, because you see it employs female engineers or something. I mean, look, thanks for that, but that's not a war room. That's not going to stop someone from hating the oil patch. A war room is the kind of thing that, for example, does deep opposition research against anti-oil sands proponents. So uh, the kind of people who should have dug up Justin Trudeau's blackface videos when he first ran in 2015, for example, that's what a war room should be doing. 
It doesn't just publish thoughtful op-eds in the Globe and Mail. I mean, we've been trying that for four years of Rachel Notley and Justin Trudeau, and a decade before that, a war room sues protesters who commit trespass or vandalism. Just for one example, a war room challenges the charity status of charities that engage in illegal behavior, for another example. A war room would ask Greta Thunberg's handlers why they're in Canada during an election campaign, but not reporting their campaign expenditures to the elections officer, like this. Will you be disclosing your finances, and will you be registering as a third-party operative? Will you be registering as a third-party operative? I mean, if I were running the war room and had 30 million bucks, I'd probably have spent 100 grand running a short TV ad in front of every single YouTube video featuring Greta Thunberg. You know that little skip now video that appears in front of YouTube vids? I'd probably spend 100 grand just showing a clip of this. So when I was 11, I became ill. I fell into depression. I stopped talking and I stopped eating. In two months, I lost about 10 kilos of weight. Later on, I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, OCD, and selective mutism. Yeah. I mean, you get 10 million people to see the truth about this mentally ill child actor being abused by her handlers. They're going to react differently uh, when her beauty pageant crazy mom pushes her in front of a microphone. I mean, I'd probably spend 100 grand promoting a video clip about her pageant crazy mom, this one. Nu ska jag ner och handla lite mat Det är inget konstigt alls Nej, nej, nej Och det är inte en massa assistenter Och sådant som folk kanske tror Nej, nej, bara jag Och mina dansare Jag handlar precis som vanligt Folk gör Mm, tacos Och pizza Och jag har ingen rysk kaviar här Inte som folk kanske tror Nej, nej, nej yeah, that's how you do it war room style. The thing about life, though, is there's always something else, isn't there? And so here comes a lame Greta wannabe. He's not that compelling, to be honest. He doesn't have the crazy eyes. He doesn't have Greta's flair for the mentally ill dramatic like this. How dare you? How dare you? This new guy is named Steve Lee. He's not a 16-year-old who looks 12 like Greta. He doesn't have her fake purity of, for example, only sailing across the oceans. Steve Lee jets around endlessly. His name is Steve Lee, and he's not even a child. He's 26 years old, though he looks a little younger. And whereas crazy leftists are saying that Greta has some mystical stature, well, Steve actually says that about himself. Here's his official biography. I love to administer justice and mercy, and I invite others into the work of justice as well. I restore cynical, bitter, and ultimately self-righteous hearts to loving, graceful, and indignant hearts. I try to live right and make things right to uplift the human personality. Climate change is happening right now, mainly caused by human activities, and we are the final generation who can solve it. Holy Messiah complex much. You administer justice and 
and mercy. I think that's what Jesus says, not some UN spokesmodel. You make us graceful and loving. You try to change the human personality. We're in the end of times. This is the final generation. Oh, oh just, just get over yourself. I guess maybe Steve's a little bit crazy too, but in a different way. But here's the thing. Greta came for a few days to Alberta to do some photo ops, and she was accompanied by her reality TV uh, show producer. See, I bet most people didn't even know that. The whole Greta thing is a reality TV stunt. She's accompanied by her film crew. Why didn't Albertans know that? I mean, we reported that here at The Rebel, but I didn't see it elsewhere. Anyways, here's the news, and it's reported by the Edmonton Journal's David Staples. Give him credit. The news is that Steve Lee is bringing his propaganda mission into Canadian schools, school by school. He's going through the schools, having unfettered access to school children, no parental consent, no other opinions to rebut him. He's crazy, and he's coming with the I'm here to heal you with global warming, semi-religious BS talk. It's being allowed into the schools. Here's a story by David Staples. Oil and gas and cattle industries under fire at Canadian schools. The Canadian oil and gas and cattle industries are under fire at schools across Canada. Climate activist Steve Lee is taking aim at fossil fuel and meat consumption as part of his crusade to turn students into fellow activists. Lee's crusade, known as the 3% Project, is funded in part by green groups like Environmental Defense and Equiterre, which are part of the ongoing campaign to landlock Alberta oil backed by major U.S. foundations. Good for Staples. He says that Lee refuses to do an interview with him, of course. Uh, so Staples publishes his interview questions to the world, questions he would ask Lee if Lee could answer them. Here's some of them. Do you want to landlock the oil sands? Are you aware that if we can't export Canadian oil, this will have no impact on climate change as world demand will be met by the United States? as well as by various dictatorships with atrocious human and women's rights. Are you aware that fossil fuel use is the main driver that has pulled billions of people out of poverty and into prosperity? You warn of a possible apocalypse and have said that we burn greenhouse gases into the atmosphere so much that it's equivalent to 400,000 Hiroshima atomic bombs blowing up into the atmosphere every single day. That's an insane amount of energy. Apocalypse? Hiroshima? Why use such fearsome and unrelated imagery to describe fossil fuel use? Those are just a few of his questions. They're good points. But the bigger point is, why, why is an anti-oil lobbyist, why is any lobbyist being given unfettered, unfiltered access to minor children without parental consent? That's how Staples ends his column. He, he makes a really good point. He says, in the end, some might well ask, why should Lee be granted any access to impressionable young minds on our public schools? To that, I'd simply ask, isn't it best that young people be exposed to many viewpoints on numerous topics? Of course, if Lee is given this platform at schools, there's a moral and educational imperative to give equal access to resource and industry groups to present their case. The most productive response here is to counter bad ideas and information with good ideas and better information. Right, that's a good journalistic point of view. That's a pro-debate point of view. David Staples knows his stuff, but it... But again, where's the government here? Where's this $30 million war room? Because these are mainly government schools, right? So why is a government school that is operating in loco parentis? That's the law speak. That's Latin for in the place of parents. When you give your kid to a school, they have a fiduciary duty 
to take care of your kids in your place? Why are schools letting in a lobbyist into these government schools and giving access to your kids? Is it because some local activist teacher or some teacher's union is anti-oil and, and lets them in? Well, they don't have constitutional control over the schools. The province does, the provincial government. Jason Kenney as premier does. Isn't this something that a war room should fight against? If you're having trouble understanding this, how would you feel if another kind of lobbyist wanted to recruit young children to his cause in the schools, on school time, without parental consent? How about a lobbyist for Exxon? How about a tobacco lobbyist? How about a foreign diplomat lobbying, say, for Iran's dictatorship or Cuba? As in, why is a lobbyist allowed in at all? Why doesn't Jason Kenney or his education minister simply ban such lobbyists, especially weird, know-nothing, working for the Green Lobby, UN lobbyists like this Steve Lee. Why not just ban him and tell any schools it's against policy to let him in? And that if they want government funding, if they want uh, independent management control by principals and superintendents, they better abide by the rule. And if not, they'll be cut off or fired or replaced or whatever. Why won't they do that? Because the CBC will squawk? So what? The CBC has had a registered lobbyist, David Suzuki, on staff for decades. They're not one to talk. They should just stay out of this one. They'd never give a show on the CBC for decades to a pro-oil lobbyist like they did for Suzuki. And here's the facts about Steve Lee. He's a child actor in his own way, like Greta, even though he's now 26. Listen to this crazy man tell kids that using oil and gas is like detonating Atomic bombs. That's what David Staples mentioned. Listen to this rambling, fact-free rant. I'm going to let about two minutes roll so you see that I'm not taking it out of context here. Take a look. When we consume at a rate that we're doing so now, we burn greenhouse gases into the atmosphere so much that it's equivalent to 400,000 Hiroshima atomic bombs blowing up into the atmosphere every single day. 400,000 atomic bombs every single day, 365 days a year. That's an insane amount of energy. And our planet is protected by a surprisingly thin layer of atmosphere. It's so thin that scientists say it's comparable to the skin of an apple. But it looks so vast from our perspective looking up into the sky because it looks endless. But it isn't. But because our perspective is different, we dump all the greenhouse gases with no responsibility. And when the greenhouse gases go up, it thickens the atmosphere, it warms the atmosphere, so the temperature rises. When temperature rises, we experience heat waves. Here in New York City, we're going through a bit of heat wave. It's an inconvenience to us. But to people in India and Pakistan, this is a matter of life and death. Last year alone, 1,200 Pakistanis died from the heat wave, so this year they dug 2,500 graves in advance, and every one of them found its owner. The heat waves really are an impediment to the global agenda. And it's not just the heat waves. Uh, when the heat goes up, 90% of the heat goes into the ocean. So the ocean temperature goes up. Then the ocean water evaporates. What goes up? must come down. So all this water that's going up needs to come down at some point, and all this comes down at the same time. That's why you experience the downpours that are so great, the hurricanes, and you know, those who came from the Philippines, those who came from uh, the east coast of North America, we experience and understand the power of the downpour that we experience. And we cannot afford those crises anymore. 
And we really are the final generation who has a fighting chance to curb climate change, to avoid its most extreme measures against us. We must take action on climate change. Pure propaganda, no authority cited whatsoever, made up stories, extreme analogies. Hiroshima, the problem with Hiroshima wasn't the energy, it was the nuclear radiation. Imagine telling children that it's like nuclear bombs detonating. Imagine letting such a freak show into a school. He's such a strange one, this kid. Luckily, he has no charisma. He's not like Greta that way. But you still, you still give this kid one hour's unfiltered access to your children. Don't be surprised if they start to mimic him. Now, look at this next clip. I love this next clip. This is at a children's meeting at the UN. So there are kids from other countries. They're mainly, obviously, from the third world. And, and they're poor. And, and some countries still have, have famines. But he's telling them to stop consuming so much, to stop eating so much, especially meat. Seriously, take a look at them. Anyone here from outside of North America? All right. All right, awesome. Yeah, so welcome, welcome to this chamber. Happy International Youth Day. Yeah, Steve, uh, those are kids from countries that, that don't have enough to eat. I don't think they need to eat less, buddy. Uh, for their own health, they, they probably need more meat, not less. Here he is hating steaks. I'm guessing he looks like he's eaten his share. Oh, and I love that uh, all of this is while there's a uh, a plastic single-use water bottle on the table behind him. Look at the top right of the screen. He's railing against that sort of thing, and he's got his water bottle right there. Take a look. A pound of beef would require so much water that if you didn't take shower for six months, you would have saved a pound of beef that uh, takes the water to make. So really, to make an effective change and really contribute to solving the problem itself, it's no-brainer that you reduce your meat consumption, that you eat less meat. And it's not just the meat. When we are looking at all the different products, whether it's the chocolate you buy or the plastic bottled water you buy, every time you're buying something, you're saying that I care more about just what I'm buying. It, I care about how it was made, how the workers were treated when it was made, how it was delivered to me, and how it's gonna be thrown away after I use it. So who is this guy? This fact-free, weird messiah complex, Greta knockoff who's coming up on 30. Well, he's not a scientist. He has a bachelor's degree in global health. That's what his LinkedIn page says. And um, that's it, actually. Uh, since he got that bachelor's degree, he's been a globalist UN child spokesman. Listen to how he describes himself on his LinkedIn page. He says, Steve Lee is a 26-year-old climate change activist, a policy advocate to the United Nations, and a global speaker. He is the executive director of FES, Foundation for Environmental Stewardship, and its 3% project. Hmm. A globalist UN speaker. Gee whiz. I'm shocked that he's pushing a global warming line. Let me read a little bit more. Steve is a voice to the voiceless youth globally. 
in voice to the voiceless youth, that's perfect, globally in policymaking, and is currently serving as the capacity building officer in the Secretary of the United Nations major group for children and youth. The UN General Assembly mandated space. He has moderated and drafted policy outcome documents, lobbied diplomats and businesses, and negotiated deliberations with UN officials, heads of state and industry leaders. Steve is personally trained by Al Gore. <laughs> yeah, I could sort of tell. I could sort of tell. Um, but what Steve doesn't show uh, on his LinkedIn page or in his propaganda in the schools is that he's bought and paid for. Now, hats off to the guy. This is from the Canada Revenue Agency website for that uh, Foundation for Environmental Stewardship of which he's the boss. They raked in $762,000 last year, uh, of which the overwhelming amount was gifts from other charities. Um, so good for him for, for raising the money, but also not really. I mean, do you really think just a kooky guy who says he thinks he's Jesus, he's going to heal the world, do you think he could raise seven hundred sixty grand on his own? No, no. Just like Greta has handlers, so does kooky Steve. Here's the board of directors of Steve's charity, again taken from its Canada Revenue Agency disclosures. I don't know if you can see on there the name Devin Page. That's the executive director of an anti-oil sands lobby group called EcoJustice. They're an anti-oil sands litigators. And then there's Maya Danjal, another Al Gore acolyte, so she says, who works for a carbon trading scheme. There's a Tesla lobbyist on his board. It's important that they keep their government subsidies coming, and Audrey Depot is their lobbyist in Canada. And there's also Dvorka Svitkovich, who runs another electric car marketing firm, uh, this one called Plug and Drive. Look, if you want to buy a Tesla, go for it. <laughs> I mean, I hate the fact that I have to subsidize it, but you want to buy a Tesla, you do it. If you want to sell things, electric cars, Go ahead. If you're a propagandist, go ahead. Free country. But this Steve Lee, he doesn't disclose that he's a bought and paid for propagandist in his talks. He doesn't disclose that he's paid by lobbyists. He doesn't go in like a race car driver with all the logos of his sponsors on his jacket. He pretends he's just a guy who has these thoughts himself, but he's not. He's literally funded and directed by a bunch of anti-oil sands lobbyists and pro-electric car corporate lobbyists, most of them foreign-funded. Which brings me back to Jason Kenney and his war room. You don't need to spend $30 million stopping this. You actually don't need to spend a dollar. You just ban lobbyists and child actors and their puppets from coming into schools with children of tender years to tell them wild stories about nuclear bombs. Steve Lee is not a scientist, he's not an expert, he's a bought and paid for propagandist who talks like he thinks he's the Messiah, he gets 760 grand a year for his propaganda agency, and he's walking right into school and scaring children. Stop it. And if teachers and principals won't stop it, stop them. You don't have the right to terrorize children. Stay with us for more.
Hey, a little bit earlier in the day when I was dressed uh, a little bit differently, I got a Skype call from our own Kian Bexty, who has safely landed in Hong Kong. I didn't want to announce his visit before he got through into Hong Kong through the border and customs, because I just didn't want any chance he'd be kept out. So he's there, and as soon as he got through customs, he Skyped me, and I want to show you a little bit of our conversation. Here, take a look. We managed to make a connection with Kian Bexty, who is now in Hong Kong. And our, at, there he is right now on the screen. Hey, Kian, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good, lay home I think that's how you say hello in Cantonese. <laughs> that is, yeah. Yes. Well, um, can you hear me all right? I can hear you great. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, well, give us an update. Uh, first of all, what time of day is it in Hong Kong? It is about, it's almost 1 a.m. Um, we had, we just landed, myself and my cameraman landed here in the Hong Kong International Airport after layover in Tokyo. It was a very, very long flight, but we finally got to our hotel and started exploring the streets. It's pretty quiet right now where we are, um, but we can see the signs of the protests pretty much wherever we go. I don't know if you can see right behind me. I'm gonna try and show this on the screen. Can you see that? Yeah. It's a picture of Winnie the Pooh and Xi Jinping, uh, Xi Jinping as Winnie the Pooh, uh, which has become a common theme in this protest. Um, the protester, well, Xi Jinping himself is, is said online, at least, that he really dislikes that image. So it's been posted uh, on a lot of polls around the area. Um, and what's interesting about right now, uh, we came at a really good time because on Sunday are the general legislative elections. So there's actually campaigns going on uh, throughout Hong Kong amid the protests. We've seen uh, one of the um, one of the actual council uh candidates had lost his ear from a rubber bullet just earlier last week. Uh, so things are quite tense here. Uh, people are on edge. Uh, and it's sad to see Hong Kong like this, actually. Hotels are dirt cheap right now, which is good for us coming here. But you can see, we were talking with the hotel agent as we checked in, and he said, business is just dead. The Hong Kong dollar has dropped. Um, and for the people of Hong Kong, it's just really upsetting. We were talking to some more at the airport, and they said that they've never been so sad about Hong Kong, and they're thinking about leaving, in fact. They're actually going to visit family in Canada, uh, and they figured they might just stay there. Huh, wow. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you say it's uh, uh, after midnight there, so that's, you would be there very early Saturday morning, so it's, it's late Friday night there, am I right, uh, with the, the, the date zone and what the international date line? Yes, um, yeah. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the weekends are generally when the big mass demonstrations happen. Is that correct? Are, are you aware that there will be mass demonstrations this weekend? That's what we expect. Um, last weekend, the large demonstration was at the university. People were firing flaming bow and arrows and throwing Molotov cocktails to defend against uh, police who were aggressively coming in with um, what looked like live rounds. Um, so I'll just go through right now what the Hong Kong protesters are demanding. There's the five demands, uh, and the metaphor is the five leaves on the, that uh, Hong Kong flag. Uh, the first one is that they want the full withdrawal of the extradition bill. Right now, the bill is claimed to be dead, although it's not been totally pulled and, and claimed to uh, never be brought back. The chief executive here has committed to never bringing that bill back, and that has some protesters upset. That's what originally brought the protesters to the street, was the fact that they could be extradited 
uh, from Hong Kong, the, the city of Hong Kong, which is a special administrative region as per the agreement with uh, the United Kingdom during the handover, they could be extradited. Political dissidents, media personnel, uh, political opponents of Beijing, they could be extradited to the mainland and sent to gulags, uh, basically, which they're not happy about. That bill is quote-unquote dead, but it's not been fully withdrawn. The second demand is full, uh, a full inquiry, open inquiry into police brutality. We've seen right now over 4,000 protesters be arrested for, uh, for various things, from a gathering where they're not supposed to, um, to actual vandalism and things of that nature. The third is, um, I'm... Don't worry about it, my right friend. You've been, traveling, um, you've been traveling nonstop for, uh, for 18 hours and, and you're jet lagged. I, I'm not trying to quiz you on all the five points. We have heard them before. They're very modest. One is to, uh, uh, they, the, the government had said it's criminal to protest. They wanted the decriminalization of the protest. They wanted an investigation yeah. into police brutality. Very, very modest. I should point out none of the five demands were for independence or separation or for the over overthrow of Beijing. And I, and I say that because these are not actually radicals. A radical would say Hong Kong should be independent. Yeah. That's not one of the five um, demands. But the thing is, it's got, I think, I was saying before you, uh, you hooked up with us, I was making a comparison to the Roman Empire. If they had an uprising in some far-flung province, they would throw everything at it, not because they cared so much about a little uprising, but because if, if it became known that little Judea could have an uprising, well, maybe they'd have an uprising in Gaul. Uh, they had to, and same here, if you could have an uprising in Hong Kong, maybe you'll have one in Tibet or Xinjiang where the Uyghurs are. So that's my theory. Um, what do you think about that? Is this now about China proving that it's tough? Well, I know that, and hopefully you can hear me over the sirens, a bunch of police vans are actually driving, actually their entire semi-trailers driving right by us right now with sirens on full blast. Um, no, I, th I think you're right about that. And what's been said about um, these elections that are coming up here on Sunday is that it's a referendum on the protests. And if uh, some key councillors are elected to a few of the seats that are actually electable seats, uh, it's going to be seen as a major blow to Beijing and, and Xi Jinping, especially in Hong Kong. And you're right in that they said that this isn't a plea for separation. They don't want to return to the British Empire. They don't want to become a city-state on their own. They simply just want uh, to maintain the liberty that was given to them from uh, the British Empire when they were handed over. They want the agreement to be respected, at least for the next few decades until it eventually expires, which has protesters on edge, uh, I'm sure, because, uh, you know, if you knew that your rights were going to expire in 23 years, I think it is, well, you would be protesting too, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, listen, I'll, I'll let you get going there because uh, you probably want to snooze because tomorrow's going to be a very big day. Um, be careful. I mean, obviously, we want you to, to cover the news, but we don't want you to be hit by a rubber bullet or, God forbid, a real one. But we do want you to cover the news and we want you to champion democracy, because I think that uh, other world events have distracted the mainstream media 
And especially in Canada, there's such a love for communist mainland China, I don't think they're giving proper attention to this democratic uprising in Hong Kong. I really think it's important that you do this work. I, our friend Avi Yamini is back in Hong Kong too. I hope you can hook up with him and just, uh, he's do, he did great work for us last time. For our, our viewers at home, people can see all your reports at hongkongreports.com. And you and our cameraman, yeah. we flew you there, you're staying in hotels, you, you need ground transportation. I, I don't remember what the total bill is, but I think between your flights and the hotels and other costs, we're probably looking at about $5,000 Canadian. Is that about right? Yeah, that's about right. Um, we tried to cut costs as much as we could. Um, and the Hong Kong dollar is cheap right now, but when it comes to, I mean, for example, to get from the airport to our hotel, it was about 50 bucks um, Canadian. And you've, uh, and I mean, I don't want to give away secrets, but I don't think it's uh, a problem to mention that you've brought uh, gas masks to deal with the tear gas. Is that right? Yeah. How much did yeah. those cost? Gas masks, helmets, um, they're about 150 bucks a piece. All right. Um, we just want to make sure our brains stay in our skull here. Uh, you know, reporters, we've seen videos of reporters being arrested, reporters being hit um, with, you know, the elbows of police officers and thrown to the ground. So we're not going to take any chances when we go to the actual protest to get footage and interview uh, the protesters. We're going to make sure that we're as safe as possible. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to come for you. I don't think they're doing that. And of course, taking on a foreign journalist from Canada would be very bad PR from them. Uh, so I don't want to scare you off, and it sounds like you're taking good precautions. Obviously, um, I mean, I'm not going to call it a war zone yet because it's it's not quite a war zone. But Tiananmen Square turned dark pretty quickly. Um, so how long are you going to be there for? We'll be here for about a week, and then uh, then we come home. Hopefully, uh, if we're not in a gulag in Beijing by then we'll be we'll be back on Canadian soil by probably Wednesday next week. Well, let me ask you one last thing. Yesterday I, I on my on my evening show um, I talked about an idea. I mean Canada takes refugees from all sorts of places many of whom don't speak English or French don't have a modern education don't have any modern job skills and frankly are a poor cultural fit for Canada. I'm referring obviously uh, to Justin Trudeau's Syrians, five years later, 90% of whom are unemployed. And I, you know, obviously Canada can't take all of Hong Kong and the idea is to fight for Hong Kong and keep it free. But God forbid if they go full Tiananmen Square, part of me thinks those protesters, they love liberty, they love independent courts, they love democracy and they're willing to pay a price for it. They speak English as all Hong Kongers do. They're well-educated. I mean, it's all students who are leading the battle. Uh, they're not welfare state people. It's an entrepreneurial culture. They're smart. And frankly, here in Canada, we could use some Hong Kong Chinese to be a counterweight to the pro-mainland Chinese, which I think are the bulk of Chinese Canadians who are political these days. Part of me thinks that, God forbid, if things turn sideways, we should have real refugees that would be great Canadians. I don't know what the number would be, if it would be 5,000 or 10,000 or whatever, but if you're a student leader in Hong Kong fighting against communist China for free press, freedom association, rule of law, you're my kind of person. That's my thought. That's what, yeah. We set up a website called realrefugees.com. We've got a bit of a petition going there. Um, I don't know. Why don't you ask people over the course of uh, your week there, 
I bet most of them are going to say, no, no, we want to stay and fight. But if, if it goes to the full Tiananmen Square, would they be interested in coming to Canada? I mean, I, when was the last time we had refugees come to Canada who were freedom-loving democracy activists? Yeah. Uh, we could use, I think, people like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that because you know, as well as I do, our prime minister is a big fan of the basic dictatorship in Beijing. Uh, so as many Hong Kongers as we could have come over to Canada to offset our prime minister who loves authoritarian regimes, that would be awesome. You know, you said something about the protesters being smart, well-educated, uh, employable. And, you, you know, the first time I realized that these protesters were like nothing I've ever seen before, that they were actually really high IQ people was when I saw a student come out, of, uh, come out onto the street and take a can of tear gas and solidify the toxins with liquid nitrogen. I don't know if you have the video, uh, and I'm sure people have seen it because it went viral, but these people, they deserve uh, to live in a place uh, like Hong Kong used to be under the British Empire, uh, back when freedoms were respected, when you could protest against the government, when you could... Uh, do business without fear of uh, police brutality happening right outside of your business doors. I think it would be great to have Hong Kong protesters come to Canada, especially and specifically the ones who are at risk of being extradited should the extradition law eventually pass. Uh, and you probably have seen this as well as I have, the videos of protesters being put on trains to go to places where it's not been released. Uh, those trains very well could be going to mainland China. And every every Hong Konger that is sent to a gulag in China is one that we should be bringing to Canada to um, keep safe, I believe. But these Hong Kongers uh, are loyal to their country. They're loyal to their city. And I imagine they don't want to leave unless it's a worst-case scenario kind of, kind of thing. Yeah, we're, I think we're showing right now that clip of them grabbing the tear gas, grabbing it, putting it in a cone, pouring the, I think, I think that's liquid nitrogen on it. I think that's what they're doing. We're watching it right now, Kian. And yeah, I mean, it's just uh, very, very interesting what they're doing. Um, all right. Well, listen, my friend, stay safe. Give us as much news as possible. They don't have to be long reports. If there's some very short thing that you think is remarkable, I don't care if it's a 30-second video. Our people want to see it because they sure won't get that kind of information from the CBC. You're right. We're going to be trying to post things live uh, and very quickly and very frequently on our Instagram channel. I believe that's rebel.news yeah. um, on Instagram. Uh, so people should check that out so that you can see what we're doing live as it happens. I'll also be posting on Twitter uh, quite frequently as well. Great. And of course, your, your longer pieces we'll have on YouTube and on our website as usual. Yeah. And we'll post all of these things at Hong Kong Reports. Dot com. And I'd like to invite people to chip in. Um, I mean, there's the airfare, there's the hotels, there's on the ground costs, and there's the cost of your gear. I think I'd have to do the accounting, but I think it's about five grand all in for you and the camera. And stay safe, my friend, and I look forward to the updates. This weekend's going to be a lot of big news, so I uh, look forward to your, your news yep. over the weekends. Absolutely. Okay, you take care out there. Thanks for making the journey. Yeah, no problem. Okay, there you have it. Kean Bexty joining us live via Skype. He just got off the plane. They went via Tokyo and then to Hong Kong. Um, and um, there they have it. They checked in their hotel and they were already on the streets and they saw some evidence of the protests to come.
welcome back on my monologue yesterday about BC wanting to ticket hateful behavior. Wendy writes, so sick of the left pushing their hate to control the masses. Well, that's the thing. I mean, when liberals are pouring over with their hate, I mean, look at how they hate Donald Trump. It's truly deranged. They hate Doug Ford in the same way. They hated his brother Rob even more. They hated Stephen Harper. They hate Jason Kenney. That's not called hate. I mean, you just type in any social media, the search term, assassinate Trump. You'll get a hundred such comments a day. That's not the subject of hate investigations. But uh, someone <laughs> says up yours to Catherine McKenna, and it's a week-long um, teachable moment in Canada. The left hates as much or more than the right, but for some reason it's never discussed, let alone targeted. Peter writes, Callan is being incredibly vague about the hate crimes and groups organizing in BC communities. I demand solid statistics on exactly what's going on here. Exactly. I mean, look, if there's a terrorist group, let's find out. If there's some crimes, let's find out. But just saying ban people in Yellow Vest, Yellow Vest isn't even a a brand or a corporation. It's it's a style. It's really like saying ban the pink pussy hats group. That's it's just a hat. On my interview with Sue Ann Levy, Brett writes, when you bring in 80 single unemployed men from Nigeria into a Toronto neighborhood and spend $5,000 a head per night, there's no need for a gender-based analysis. That's only for Canadians who move in to do work. Yeah, it's a million bucks a month for 200 people, so it's 5,000 bucks a head per month. But you, but I take your point about the gender analysis. You know that old clip I always show you of uh, Catherine McKenna saying if you have a big industrial project, you bring a couple hundred men and you need a gender analysis before it's approved, releasing that many men in the community. Yeah, it's a very good point. You release a hundred uh, single men into a neighborhood, um, men who don't necessarily know our cultural mores, how to handle yourself with women who are uncovered. Um, yeah, where's the gender analysis there? That's a very perceptive point. Well, that's our show for today. I'm really excited that Kian and our cameraman are in Hong Kong. I think they'll be safe. They've got some gear, uh, like some uh, tear gas uh, masks, in case uh, things get a little rough. Um, I think they've got good judgment and a healthy enough dose of fear in them that they won't put themselves in jeopardy. I expect we'll get some amazing footage. You can tune in at Hong Kong Reports. Dot com. And by the way, our friend Avi Yamini is over there now, too. Uh, he's on his own this time, um, but hopefully we'll meet up and have a chance to talk to him and get that on tape. So very exciting weekend. So make sure to tune in to HongKongReports.com. I sure will be. I'm very excited about what Kean's doing there. If you want to help chip into the cost of that flight, you can do so, too, at HongKongReports.com. All right, that's our show for today. Until Monday, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom.